Ladies, gentlemen, geeks of all ages, you are now entering BJ Shea's Geek Nation. Welcome. Yes, welcome to BJ Shea's Geek Nation. I am the Reverend Fuego. Across from me is Vicky Barcelona. Hello. The show's namesake, BJ Shea, is on assignment. He's probably playing board games. That's what he does. But running the boards is Joey D's. Hi. Hello. On today's show, we will talk about a board game that BJ actually had mentioned previously, but we've got Cody Miller to talk about Aridia, The Past We Dare Tread. Joe will give us a review about The Green Knight. Not the blue one. No, not the blue one. Or the red one. Or the or, dark one. Or the purple one. Or the yellow one. Or, no, it's just The Green Knight. And of course, we'll get the geek sheet with Vicky B. Vicky, how can people get a hold of us? Get a hold of us via our website, bjgeeknation.com. It's going to have our blogs, podcasts, and more. more. Or just search BJ Shay's Geek Nation on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, iTunes, and the Odyssey app to find us. Yeah. Now, we did mention that uh, BJ's been probably been playing some board games. And last Wednesday's episode, he talked about a Kickstarter that is going on called Aridia, the Past We Dare Tread. Well, we had the chance to seek out the creator of this game, Mr. Cody Miller. And without any further ado, we've got that man. With me today is a person I'm very excited to talk about because I know that Far Off Games is amazing because they made Zaya Embers... <laughs> It, seriously, like I, I can't even like Zaya is flat out amazing. I love this game ever since the fact that I watched BJ Shea fly into the sun. So uh, <laughs> I, I really love Zaya Legends of a Drift system. And with me today, we've got Cody Miller and Cody. You designed that game, correct? I did. Yeah. Thank you, Rev. First, thank you for having me <laughs> on your show. And yeah, I designed Zaya. I love it when people fly into the star and explode <laughs> on their first game. Uh, very memorable. It's very exciting. It's a very fun space exploration game. And if you were listening to us last week, and you can go back, and BJ was just, uh, he was giving so many props on your new Kickstarter out there, which is Iridia, the past we dare tread, which yeah. you've exchanged uh, space exploration now <laughs> going back into a smaller world it's just as just as exciting and amazing, and really, you've outdone yourselves with this Kickstarter. And oh, I'm man. literally right now just watching the numbers continue to go up. Uh, first up, <laughs> congratulations! As of thank this, you, Rev. Thank you. As of this recording, you have already hit your funding with uh, still yes. some days to go. If you guys are listening right now, no matter what time you're listening, go to kickstarter.com and just look up Aridia, the past we dare tread. We've posted it as well on all of our social media um, awesome. because until Tuesday, August 31st, you'll have a chance to be able to get that and uh, get in on the Kickstarter. Um, yeah. Tell us tell us a little bit about this because this is a co-op fantasy role-playing game, um, yeah. and there's been a lot of those recently, um, but have. what you've been doing has been really cool. So tell us a little bit about Aridia. Yeah, thank you. So um, Aridia, I'll say a few terms here. Aridia is an open-world, campaign-based, cooperative, adventure, fantasy, role-playing game in a box for one to four players. Um, and so... The sort of what, uh, so so as a game, you're going to create a character, you're going to explore a map, you're going to fight monsters, level up, get new loot, all the sort of like staples of um, like a dungeon crawl. But the thing that we're trying to do with Iridia that maybe um, differentiates it is 
this idea of an open world. And so um, there is a world map that we give you in the game and it starts out um, blank. And this world map is made up of little hexagon tiles and um, we're only showing you one third of it to start and then there's more of wow. it to come as you explore the game. And um, so all of these hexagon tiles start out face down and you'll explore kind of like um, an old Final Fantasy game or something. And that world map is dotted with locations. And the cool thing is you find these locations. And so like the first location you find is called the Exiles Camp. And it's on this hexagon. And it looks like um, this sort of like cute little version of like tents and a camp. But what's great is you can explore these locations in depth. So um, you find this location and there'll be a little code that says like big 12 or something like that. And you'll draw out, uh, you'll go to the map deck and you'll draw out big 12 and it'll be a map that's a zoomed in version of that little camp wow that's neat yeah yeah and so um so that zoomed in version now will have um sort of like zaya where you fly to the edge of space and you draw a new tile and see what's there we're doing that like we're taking that as far as we can with this so now we have um specific pointers so like if you're exploring a village and there's um, buildings in that village, there'll be pointers on those buildings that you can go up to the door and it'll say, draw out this new map tile for the inside of that building. So then you'll draw out that new tile and you'll put it down. And then maybe inside that building, there's a staircase that leads down into a dungeon or we can really go nuts with it. And so um, the idea kind of is like with Zaya, you have this randomized exploration where you have this stack of tiles and you're exploring space um, and every game is randomized, right? So you get that feeling of like, oh, what, what's around the corner? What's around the corner? But after a while, you also get this feeling of like, they're kind of like old friends coming up. And you're like, oh, there's that one. <laughs> um, with Iridia, every time you play, um, the game remembers where you were previously. So those map tiles that you've been flipping up over the course of the campaign will stay flipped up. So it's like, yeah, we were here and we did that thing and we fought these guys over here. And every time you play, you're going to be experiencing new content. So we've handcrafted all of these locations out there. So it's not randomized. And um, like over the course of the 40-hour campaign, everything you see is going to be new. So when you explore a new location, we're not using that same tile that you saw, you know, two games ago. This is all new hand-done art. Um, We have an artist named Philip, Philip Auk who's doing an amazing job on all of the zoomed in map art. Um, he also did the overworld map art. But um, so so you won't know what's around the corner as long as you're playing through this campaign, which to me as a gamer, like makes me so happy. This is, yeah, this is so reminiscent. And like some of my favorite games out there, and I've stated this many times, would be like the Skyrim or the Fallout series. Yeah, where, oh, totally. Yeah, where it's like, yeah, there are things that are happening in certain locations. But if you never go there, you might not experience it. And exactly. I, I've been playing these games for years and years now. And there's still some times where I find something that I hadn't noticed before. And <laughs> like finding those little tidbits is amazing in a video game. But the fact that you have a board game for this is, <laughs> first off, it seems very, very, um, uh, 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 very, uh, I, the, just like involved like when trying to create oh, something man. like this like when you're sitting down and trying to create a game such as this 
and yeah. you've come down to the ideas like we want to do this. Like, where do you even begin just with the big map and like, oh, like the big concept Seriously. or like, where did you even start with this? Yeah. So so for me, a lot of it started. I was like, I love Zaya. This was in 2013. So I've been working on this game for wow. like seven plus years. Um, it has been like a labor because of that very question. Like how I love Fallout. I love Skyrim. How nice, can I make yeah. those into a board game that I can play, you know, with my friends and share with the world basically. And so like, it has been a daunting task, but also like, I'm so <laughs> like fantasy speaks so much to my heart that it's been so much fun to figure these things out. And yeah, like you've said, I have printed out maps that are like, giant exploded versions so like <laughs> three foot by four foot maps Whoa. like pieced together tons tons of um just like printer paper and then like put out <laughs> things on there and try and figure out like how am i going to connect this open world together and um just doing crazy things like that i have so many notebooks full of ideas <laughs> and like scribbles of like how can i do this just over the years accumulating right um but ultimately, yeah, just being inspired by things like so in Fallout, there's the VATS system, uh -huh. which allows you to like target body parts. We're kind of doing that with this, wow. where when you fight a monster, instead of just having hit points, they have a card that is, if you're familiar with Fallout, it's basically the VAT system. Here's like their hit points laid out on the artwork for the monster. So you're fighting a monster, you get the awesome artwork of them done by Mr. Cuttington, which um, David and Lena do an amazing job with all the monster art. And on top of that, I've layered, um, I'm going to say a grid, but it's not actually a grid exactly. It's sort of like orthogonally laid out, but it's little bubbles that represent hit points. Oh, and your nice. weapons, when you attack, do patterns. So like a sword slashes across from left to right, a dagger like can hit any spot and then go diagonal. Um, a club will come like from the top and hit down. And so you're applying these wounds to the monster's hit damage based on your weapon. And it feels so satisfying. And then we have another <laughs> system for when monsters attack you that is um, super fast and fun where you roll the dice and they hit you just like in VATS. They'll hit you in the arm or the head. And if you have armor there, it will protect you. If you don't have armor there, you'll take extra damage. So uh, it's it's and, super involved. And <laughs> like I, I, I you were talking about the artwork and I want to commend your artist on all of the different all the artists on oh, all man. of the uh, the artwork. But also like even like looking at and if you go to Kickstarter and just search for Aridia, the past we dare tread or hit up our social <laughs> media or go to far off games. Um, you get to see really how involved this is going down to looking at some of the uh, the things like for like inventory. You've got stuff for all the parts of like the body, essentially, like you yes, get yeah. to customize your character in the ways that you want it as you're going along. And totally. that and that in itself is one of those things that brings that immersion into a game like this, because you get to be like, OK, yeah, I'll start off as, you know, a ranger. But then what does my ranger want and how is that yeah, going exactly. to affect in themselves and then also the world as you're going around? That That's so super cool, man. <laughs> I mean, you can tell I love role playing games. And like for me, it's been so much fun just to nerd out and like, how can I fulfill all my role playing game desires with Iridia? And so anything that I think is awesome, I've tried to put in there. 
Um, yeah, like, so one of the things, if you're familiar with Zaya, all the ships come pre-painted and we're doing that again with Iridia. So in Zaya, you get 22 miniatures. In Iridia, you get over 60. Wow. They all come pre-painted. Um, the monsters we're putting into like, uh, they're all hidden away in like, um, kind of like an advent calendar box. <laughs> and so, so you won't know what monsters are coming up. So when you, um, encounter combat it'll be like draw monster seven and you'll find the card and it'll be like whoa this is beautiful art and then you'll uh it'll say open this box and you'll open this door and pull out the miniatures for that and it matches the artwork like you don't have to do any work you just get to enjoy this like beautiful looking game um, i think it's gonna be that super is fun. that is so fantastic and i just i love that now uh one of the things that i've noticed as well too with uh, games such as this, like legacy type games where uh, mm -hmm. the, the system remembers it, is that a lot of times it's almost as if it's kind of a one and done. But when we were talking with BJ, it seems that you've kind of alleviated that issue in terms of being able to be able to replay this game over and over again. Yeah. So um, I, me and my game group, when um, Risk Legacy came out, we had so much fun with that. And it was while I was working on Iridia. And I thought, oh, man. I love all these ideas. How can I do these? And um, and I was trying to figure it out and trying to figure it out. And it was like, I guess we'll have to make it a legacy game. But for me, um, how much I've explored or enjoyed legacy games, it makes me sad to tear up um, components. <laughs> right. And especially when I want to have like, I want you to have like this really high quality experience, but it doesn't make sense if you're destroying it. And so these things were sort of like battling in my head. And then I read a um, forum post on Board Game Geek where someone was like, I think someone needs to figure out how to make a legacy game with all the awesome legacy stuff, but then you reset it at the end. And I was like, that's it. That's it. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to figure out how to do like a green legacy um, game. And so that's, that is one of like, it's a marketing term, but it's also the truth. You don't have to destroy any components to the best of like, I've worked with our manufacturer to work around things like, well, I need stickers to like change things. No, we've got um, like triple layered cardboard. So the world maps with all those hexagons is made up of three different layers so that as you're exploring, um, instead of like putting stickers on, you pop the hexagons out using this, we're calling it the pop and flip system. So you basically pop down on the right side and it lifts the left side up. Oh, and then wow, you flip okay. it over and put it back in the spot. And now it's there permanently for the rest of the campaign until you're done with it. Then you can fully go back through, reset everything. You haven't damaged any components and you can play through it again with a new play group or you could trade the game off to somebody or you can put it on your shelf to play again um, when it suits you. So That's one of the biggest things I think on that is like the replayability on a game like this because like you have stated, it's for one to four players, which means... Yeah. If you maybe just want to learn the game yourself so you can teach other people, you can go ahead and go in starting it off and you know you're not going to ruin the game or you're not going to have to keep totally. an extensive notebook on the side so you don't ruin those things so you can remember what you did and what you didn't have to do. Um, yes. I think that's fantastic. And people can go, if you go and check out Far Off Games, look for you, uh, look for them on uh, social media because I know you're uh -huh. posting a lot of stuff, including you've previously put out some live gameplay so people can kind of see how that is going around and yeah. even get an idea for it. And like you were talking about, like you did, like 
one of the things too, you're talking about the pre-painted minis, but the player characters have detachable heads, so you can customize oh, yeah. it even more. Like that is so cool, and like it's just like yeah. it shows how much thought you've put into this game. You, I really feel you want this to be one of those games that is. Uh, like a Dungeons and Dragons campaign where people come in for, you know, the weekly, the monthly game, sit down and play, but it's there for years to come. Yeah. So one of my design goals with Iridia is, you know, for me, I'm getting older. I've got a family and a job and I've got a lot of responsibilities and I don't have as much time to like prep a, you know, for three hours before a tabletop role-playing game. And so what I've done with Iridia, my goal is I'm going to go in, I'm going to do all the prep work. You and your friends just get to sit down and enjoy this world. Um, there is role playing, there's adventure, loot and monsters, magic, all of it. Very accessible and beautiful for you. It's the it's really like seriously the perfect thing. And I, I, I BJ was touting so much about it on last week's podcast. But I mean, having played Zaya, having experienced that, and even having backed it myself, uh, I'm really stoked for Iridia. Uh, I I this is one of those ones where it might get me back into playing games with BJ because sometimes he gets a little intense. So I, a lot of times, you know, it's like, especially even getting into the role playing games, but he gets down into it. He gets dirty and gritty when it comes down to it. And I'm really excited for the, uh, the, the legacy aspect of these types of games. Seriously, Cody, um, again, congratulations on backing on the Kickstarter, uh, getting it there. But, People, you need to check out this game. Watch the videos if you if you think it might be something for you. And the minis, they're beautiful. Like every aspect <laughs> of this, you put so much thought into it. I'm very excited to uh, be able to sit down and play this eventually. So uh, again, people go to faroffgames.com if you want to check out Zaya. Also, the Facebook uh, and also all the other social media. But if you just look for Iridia, the past we dare tread, you can find it on Kickstarter, get all the information. You're very thorough on exactly what's going on. So many components, so many beautiful components, not just the minis. Um, it gives you a full inclusive experience and really gets you immersed into this world. Uh, Cody, thank you so much for spending some time with me. Absolutely. Rev. Thank you so much. And yeah, it, to your listeners, come on over. If you have any questions, I'm in the comments on the Kickstarter page. We'll talk to you and get all that settled. So, Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Again, you can check out Aridia, the past we dare tread. Uh, on Kickstarter, you can see our links as we posted them on our social media as well. Um, beautiful game. And if you loved Zaya... Um, but want to go down into the uh, the uh, the fantasy aspect of uh, exploration and have some fun with a green legacy game, as they're putting it. This is the thing for you to do and check out. Now, Joe, you saw a movie that I'm actually really excited to see, and I'm like, wow! I first off, when we talked about it, um, I was I, I wasn't sure what to think about it, but then you were telling me about the Green Knight, yes, and it. It seems to be like, is it like a reimagining of Arthurian legend? Because that's what everyone else is saying. So I have to imagine that it's kind of along those lines. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and state this with a, I am not an expert. Okay, fair enough. Because <laughs> I went into watching this movie only knowing it was based off of a 14th century poem, not having to do exactly with King Arthur. It was about one of his knights of the round table. Okay, okay, yes. And uh, th I saw it in theaters. Uh, oh, okay, nice. Because I was told it's shot beautifully, essentially similar to the way if you saw The Revenant, how it was very based in nature. 
yes. longer yeah. scenes kind of a thing. But oddly enough, it only had a $15 million budget, and you would never be able to tell. Really? Yeah. I don't know if people took, like, pay cuts or if <laughs> if they just have the best, you know, uh, what do you call it, like, a budget conservation that I've ever seen. But you would never have known. I would have thought it had the same budget as even The Revenant, for instance. Wow. Really? Yeah. And it, it's great. Um it's a very confusing if you don't know anything about the time period. So if you don't know any of the King Arthur's storyline or the Knights of the Round Table or how the mythicism kind of works, the mythos, because mm-hmm. they do a lot of these fantasy spirits exist, magic exists, but they don't explain it. Okay, okay. So it's about a journey of uh, Sir Gawain, mm-hmm. uh, essentially trying to discover what it is to be a knight, how to be courageous. Oh, okay. And it just starts off very simple. Uh, King Arthur's a little bit older. He's uh, sitting around on Christmas, and he's asking to be told a story. And he asks Sir Gawain, uh, you know, can you tell me a story? He says, I don't have any to tell, because he's still a young knight. He hasn't really gone on any real adventures. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. And then in walks this green knight, who is a being of nature, and challenges a a random person to a duel. And then you go on this journey with Sir Gawain as he tries to figure out what it means to really be a knight. Oh, wow. And that's, I mean, it sounds super interesting in terms of, like, especially if you love the fantasy stuff. And, I mean, I love the theme of today's podcast. It's just the fact that going on these high fantasy adventures, and especially with the Arthurian legend, there have been some remakes of, like, the whole Knights of the Round Table and King Arthur and doing all the stuff with Camelot. But the fact that this is kind of a, uh, a side story um, in that legend makes it more interesting because we've heard the same stories over and over again. So just to have something different seems a lot more refreshing. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where if you like don't like slow-paced movies or you're looking for a lot of action, it won't be for you. But if you kind of like these really out there but deep stories where you kind of have to follow everything because mm-hmm. it's very subtle and you have to kind of figure out who the characters are on your own, they don't just come out and say this is the big bad or the big good. And then the ending is, of course, kind of open-ended and leaves you with questions of, you know, life questions. Wait, so you got to think afterwards? Yeah, it's, you're going to be sitting there and you're like, wow, I'm not exactly sure what I was supposed to think about this. Like, is he a good guy or a bad guy? How does his, like, you know, hero's journey go? But uh, it, it was definitely a good movie to start off with for, you know, not having been into a theater for a while because it captured the whole idea of sound quality and immersion and, oh, man, you, I mean, you can sit there and just watch the scenes in nature because they do some really cool, like, fantasy slash mixing cool. of CGI, too. Yeah. Because it's supposed to be this weird, like, is he tripping? Like, he even eats mushrooms at one point in the movie and trips out. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, and it's just awesome. It's so it's just... kind of an unreliable narrator at that point in time, too, especially for tripping on uh, shrooms there. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> every scene is supposed to kind of be his interpretation of what's going on Fair in enough. his yeah. head. So yeah, it's yeah, not totally. necessarily, a, it's not, you know, it's not like, oh, man. I hurt my arm, and then you see him, my arm hurts. <laughs> more, I hurt my arm, and then where have I been for the last year? <laughs> oh, wow, okay, yeah. So that, I mean, definitely more of an artistic-style movie. Uh, I'm excited for that. I'm excited for the fact that um, just going back to the theaters to be able to see a beautiful movie such as that. I, I do know that if you're listening to this on time, and this is one of the reasons why you should listen to our podcast as soon as it comes out, that if you are around on August 18th, which is Wednesday, and maybe you don't want to go to the theaters yet because you're not 100% on that, and you want a chance to see this, A24 has announced that the film will be available to stream for one night only, Wednesday, August 18th at 9 p.m. 
Eastern at the A24 Screening Room, which is just screeningroom.a24films.com. And it'll cost you 20 bucks a ticket. And usually these things will kind of, uh, these, these are virtual screenings, so they'll still have a certain amount that they're going to sell. So if you're listening to this now, this might be something that you want to go check out. But it sounds like the theater experience will probably be the most the the, the most best way to do it. I would recommend it. And don't go off the Rotten Tomatoes score for the uh, not the non-critics, essentially okay. for the viewer for viewers. Because if you do, I mean, you're not going to enjoy the movie if you don't know anything about the legend. Just go read the poem beforehand, and you'll kind of get a gist of what you're going to watch. Good call. I mean, I mean, sometimes I mean, kind of sucks sometimes when you're like, oh, a movie calls prep work, but this sounds like a movie that y- it's not a big bombast superhero movie this is one where you want to sit down and pay attention to like watch it listen to it and immerse yourself into the movie yeah because you'll literally go on the journey with this character and you can kind of follow along and be like wow i wonder what i would do in this scenario and a lot of the things that he did do i would have probably done in the sense that he's a good person, but he's not a noble person yet. So yeah. it's very fun to watch that way. Right on. Perfect. Uh, very excited for myself to see that, so I'll have to check that out. But now it is time to get to... The Geek Sheet with Vicky B. Vicky, what's going on? My One of my favorite conversations is to do fan casting. Like I. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to hang out with some friends recently, and we were chatting about like some of my fan casts. Like, I know who I want to play Mystique next. I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast. No, you haven't. Who do you want, nerd about, who do you want to play Mystique next? Lena Headey. Okay. Mostly because I feel like Jennifer Lawrence, I love her as an actress. Mm-hmm. I think she's fun and like brilliant. However, her Mystique, because she is Jennifer Lawrence, was not a bad word that she normally is in the comics. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, just like her outside of acting personality is that sort of thing as well. And they really marketed that mystique into more of a tragic hero, type character. Yeah, like a tragic hero, villain, and, vigilante-ish thing. And Rebecca Romaine was fine as mistake. 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 But uh, uh, yeah, I could see her doing that. And hearing her voice work as Evil Lynn in uh, Masters of the Universe, uh-huh. Revelation um, was actually very decent as well too. So it would be kind of cool to see a, an older Mystique mm-hmm. um, and just going through and doing whatever she's doing because yeah, you like you said, she is definitely a bad word. And the only, only other actress because she has said herself uh, that she was born to play witches and bitches. <laughs> I believe her name is Michelle Gonzalez. Yeah, Mich- wait, oh yes. I always get her last name. Yep, Gomez, excuse me. Oh, Michelle Gomez. Okay, yeah. You might have seen her in The Flight Attendant, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. I think she was also in Doctor Who. But she has a face for witches and bitches. But I don't know if I've ever (laughs) seen her do anything like... Mystique needs a lot of like acrobatic kind of things. So I don't yeah. know. Like she's 54 years old, which doesn't mean anything in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. But I've never seen her do all that kind of crazy stuff. She really acts with her face and her presence. So I don't know if like fighting and stuff would be her. Ooh. But I would love her face as Mystique. Oh, interesting. I'm just looking at her Wikipedia. And apparently she's going to be in Doom Patrol coming up very soon. She's, oh, I, yeah, that's right. She's been cast as Madame Rouge. That's right. So, I remember reading that article a while ago. Yeah. And she's also recently also been in like DuckTales. I mean, it was obviously her voice. voice. But yeah. Uh, yeah. She was good in The Flight Attendant. I do remember as that. So yeah, right on. Uh, but I did see this article. They're, it's, they're constantly coming out with articles trying to find... Like Cinema Blend uh, specifically, mm-hmm. they'll pick a, a big actor because it seems like when it comes to these Marvel properties, they are now branching out and depending on the character, 
they they don't have a problem with casting big name actors now. Yeah. So we got like in the Eternals, we have quite a few bigger named actors like between Salma Hayek, Angelina Jolie, we got a, you know, the Stark brothers. <laughs> 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 Jon Snow and uh was it Rob? No. Oh, I know. It's Rob it's Stark, it's no. uh, Rob Stark. Yep. Yeah, it's Rob Stark. Yeah. I can't remember his real name, but uh, yeah, yeah, the Stark brothers. No, nobody really does. But that, when it comes to those, they're they're casting bigger names. So they'll come out with articles picking an actor and who they could play. So okay, so let's go with an actor. Five Marvel characters that Brad Pitt would be perfect to play. Brad, well, he was already um, the the invisible, invisible guy. guy. Whatever that poor invisible guy's name was in Deadpool. Vanisher. Vanisher. There He's we go. On this list. <laughs> To actually reprise the role as Vanisher. Yep. He's got a, uh, like, because they were saying he's got a reputation for making smaller random turns and that are more memorable than a starring role, honestly. He can't do accents, so I'll just throw out Gambit. Like, that's not going to happen. No. He's got kind of, like, I mean, he could be an older type of Gambit, obviously, if he could Mm. actually do uh, an accent. I think they've kind of, they were supposed to be doing a Gambit with Channing Tatum, and his family is all um, Creole, I believe. Yeah. And so he he even tried to do the accent, I think, on like Ellen or one of those talk shows. And they're like, my family's going to make fun of me when they see this interview because I'm butchering it. Uh, so I think that's why, one, because he's, you know, Channing Tatum. He's not only very handsome, mm-hmm. he's really funny. I feel like, you know, he I think he could do it. Maybe. I don't know. Like, I don't know if I really necessarily like wanted him as Gambit, but I wasn't hating it either. I don't know if I would want Brad Pitt as Gambit, though. Now, thinking uh, another role that I think I would like as Brad Pitt as would be Nova. Oh. No, I mean, he's got the, he's basically got, kind of got that swagger. He's part of the Nova Corps and essentially was the last of the Nova Corps, which would make sense in terms of like the MCU because Thanos went to the planet and wrecked them all to get the Power Stone. Um, so I could see him doing that possibly. I, I see the only time I've really ever watched Nova was they they had this series. I think it was on Disney or one of those like kids shows where it's like for 10 year olds or something where it was like <laughs> the amazing Spider-Man. It, it was relatively new. I think they had like White Tiger, um, but they had Nova. So I'm kind of used to a teenage Nova. OK, <laughs> and OK. Was kind yeah. of a snarky butthole like. <laughs> So like that's why I can't picture him as an older guy, but it makes sense. But there has been a James Gunn has kind of said like I really like Nova. Oh, I hope that I hope James Gunn puts him in Guardians Three. That'd be super yeah, cool. So we shall see. He's he's really liking him. <laughs> Brad Pitt as the Thing would be oh, so God. funny. <laughs> you know what? Now with today's technology and stuff like that, sure, why not? You know, it's just one of those things where like. All right, we'll see what happens with it. I'm just imagining like a mix of a, like a Bostonian uh, Inglorious Bastards Brad Pitt, <laughs> where he's just angry all Bongiorno. the time. Bongiorno. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what else do we have? Uh, other uh, people that they think that he should be able to play. Uh, so, well, it's funny that you did say Gambit. Oh, really? Because it's not Gambit per se, but it's uh, Jean-Luc Lebeau. Who was that? I believe that was his father. Oh, oh, they're looking for older roles then. Well, on I mean, that. he's what, almost sixty? How old is Gan- How old is Brad Pitt now? Oh, he's in his fifties at least. That's what I would guess. Somewhere yeah, around something 50, like yeah, fifty-five maybe. Uh, fifty-seven. Yeah, wow, see, you can get those AARP discounts now. Good for isn't him. Not crazy. So, I mean, one, it'd be hilarious to see him in that accent. You're oh, he's not beautiful. wrong. He's a beautiful man. 
<laughs> he very much is. <laughs> Look at him still. I mean, he was fantastic in Ocean's Eleven. He had like that gravitas, like that mm-hmm. like swagger and stuff about him. So, you know, does, it makes sense that they would think to put him as the master of thieves. He is the leader of the Thieves Guild. What do you think we are? Thieves? Yep. So, uh, Don't worry about it. Yep. So it's uh, so I, it, it doesn't oh. really say it's his dad. It says uh, Jean Luc took him under his wing after he successfully picked his All pocket right, as yeah. a kid. Uh, so if there's any hope of a Gambit solo movie, an introduction flashback with Brad Pitt as the popular mutants mentor, that would be kind of like a that would be kind of like a Yondu role, yes. um, which would make a lot of sense with that. And if we're going for like daddy roles for uh, Brad Pitt, I think also because I was thinking about it, and I thought that. This character was actually the uh, father of Star Lord, um, but it, he wasn't. Was Corsair from Star Jammers? He was basically it's essentially the same thing as the Ravagers, are kind of space pirates going around. But Corsair was the father of Scott Summers, which you may know as ah, Cyclops, and he kind right. of fits that sort of thing. And he could be, you know, a spacefaring pirate. I know they already just did that with Yondu and the Ravagers, but I mean, there's a lot of space out there, and part of the music. Mutants bringing it in with like the Shi'ar Empire, which uh, is a whole big thing with the X Men universe. I could really see something along those lines as well. Plus, it kind of looks like them, so uh, I like it personally. Okay, so I might have had like a weird fever dream, or like I have very vivid dreams to the point where I don't know if they're real or not. Oh, geez, okay. Uh, Like when I remember something, like was that a dream or did that happen? So I had a dream, I think, because I'm not seeing anything about it. Was that they were going to do like a prequel movie or series of the Ravagers? Oh yeah, I haven't so, heard anything like no, that. No, like somebody like so I'm looking on the only thing I see is back uh, in 2020 where it says the Yondu won't return to the MCU unless it's a prequel movie or something. Oh, so yeah, maybe he said that he would like like to do that, but I mean obviously because I mean Yondu didn't make it through uh, Guardians no. 2, but I mean but, but I think it must have just been one of those like, oh yeah, there's an article saying that we're going to get a prequel of the Ravagers. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Uh let's uh, what what are the other roles for uh Brad Pitt uh, here that they think that would be good for him? Uh, I don't really know too much of this character, but it's hype Hyperion? Hyperion? Hyperion, yeah. Um, Isn't that like a Superman type guy? It's, uh, he is an extra extraterrestrial with flight, super strength, and almost every other superpower under the sun. There are many different versions of the character within the Marvel multiverse, but the one most likely to be integrated into the MCU is a member of the Eternals because the immortal oh, heroes right have their own company movie. I'm like, you just want to start crap because Angelina <laughs> Jolie is in that movie. You just want to start some drama, so calm down. <laughs> that, that would be worthwhile there. <laughs> one, another one on here that I don't agree with, Green Goblin. No, no, no. This, no. this one, I'm on the fence. Like, I think look-wise would be cool, but I don't want him to try to act it out. Which one? Magneto. No, no. Even an old no. Magneto, I feel like... Uh-uh. No. Uh-uh. no, 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 no. I feel like I would like to see him in a costume, but do not give him the role. No, no, or at least dub over his voice with Ian McKellen's voice. Just have Ian McKellen's voice be whomever it is, and at that point, you can just get a training dummy and have him be uh, Magneto. Right. I'm sure. Uh, I think it's Sean Gunn, James Gunn's brother. Yeah. He's always doing the stand-in for those. We got him. It's fine. <laughs> Until next time, guys. Stay nerdy.